You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What's good, Belly Up Sports fam? F is Sports here, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Shaka Cummings with my partner in crime, Parker Ainsworth. What's going on, P? What's going on, Shaka? Life's good. It was an underrated sports weekend. With the Super Bowl happening last weekend, I know a lot of folks are like thinking that they're going to take their lull until March rolls around and college basketball comes around. But it was kind of a sneaky big weekend. Yeah, there were a lot of things happening this weekend. If you like, actually looked at the schedule and the docket, there was, frankly, a lot of football on this weekend. Uh, XFL games are currently going on as we record this, but there was some yesterday. There was great college basketball, a bunch of rivalry-type games all day long, um, good NBA games. It was, it was a good weekend of sports. So I don't know if you caught this, but uh, XFL, Houston has a team, so I know that you're automatically going to be rooting for them. <laughs> But June Jones is the head coach. Did you see who the quarterback coach was? Was it Dan? It's Dan Morrison. Absolutely. <laughs> My <laughs> so, man. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, Parker and I coached with Dan Morrison at Green Hill School in Addison, Texas. He was the offensive coordinator. Uh, Parker was offensive and defensive line. Uh, I coached running backs, and then I was kind of an offensive assistant up in the booth. And so uh, we know Dan. Wishing him good luck. Uh, I watched the UFC as well. John Jones retaining his uh, his light heavyweight championship. He's probably the greatest MMA fighter of all time. And this particular matchup was a lot closer than I think a lot of people were thinking. 
What did you think of Duke Carolina? Uh, I had lots of thoughts of Duke Carolina, but my first thought was that, like, what an epic collapse, right? Like, they opened up. I feel like Carolina should have had the game. They were had all the momentum. They were at home. They gave up the big lead and came back. And, of course, it's the, the younger Jones brother comes up clutch at the end, missing his own free throw and putting it back in. And then they go to overtime. And Shaka, they let the same dang thing happen again. He missed the free throw, got his own rebound. He didn't make the shot. The other kid had the great putback to, at the buzzer. But, yeah, like, how Wendell do you let that Moore. happen twice in a game? Yeah, Wendell Moore, <laughs> Just... right, was the kid who got the putback, I think. And um, Yeah. I mean, all Duke has a bunch of five stars. So all those guys are quality players, quality recruits. But, they come in. That's crazy right. how they that played ended. the last few minutes and overtime it was like five or six minutes and overtime without vernon carey jr i mean like one of their bigger recruits and to change it up i feel great for uk fans university of kentucky graduate he took on tennessee on the road got that win so it's a good weekend for wildcats fans so we'll take that whenever we can <laughs> I, get it as we look at our topics this week so we're going to talk a little bit about houston rockets and the small ball that they're playing we're going to talk about nba all-star weekend and a podcast would not be a podcast without, at some point, talking about Pete Rose. So we're going to bring up Pete Rose as well. So, Parker, our first claim that we're going to discuss this week is that the Houston Rockets will be successful playing small ball. So growing up a Rockets fan, talk to me about small ball, how you're feeling about Houston's roster post-trade deadline. Oh, as a fan... I, I like it because it's fun, and what I think is fun about Houston is that we pretty much don't stand still. Like, whenever something's not working well enough or not up to snuff, we mix it all up. Like, it just, we throw it out the window and we start something over pretty quickly without ever having to do a big tank. Like, we haven't tanked since we got Yao many moons ago. Um, it is interesting to me that we're just apparently not going to have a center. I'm not so sure that they won't pick up somebody in a buyout type situation before. March 2nd, we're just going to stick with what we're good at. And we wanted, you know, we had $18 million to flip somewhere, and we just decided to, hey, we're going to put all $18 million into shooting. And the $18 million so happened to be going to a big guy. Well, he's going away and and shooting. Um, it, as a claim of will it be successful to a, de- a degree, like how successful were you expecting them to be before it? And <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of people coming up to me in the last week being like oh Houston blew their title chances when a week before that they were saying Houston was never going to win the title so I don't I don't I don't know how you blow a chance you didn't have um by making this move I do think it's cool to be different in a league where everyone's zigging if we zag I I I agree with a lot of the points that you were making in that the question about success how do we end up defining success for the Houston Rockets and so in my mind I was thinking the success, based on what Houston has been able to do recently, it feels like success has to be making it to the NBA Finals. They've gotten to the Western Conference Finals. They took that Golden State team as far as that Golden State team wanted to be taken. The general consensus is that if Chris Paul were healthy two years ago in that Western Conference Finals, there's no telling what Houston would have been able to do versus Golden State. And a lot of people think that the Houston Rockets would have been in the NBA Finals. Golden State goes on to win that championship. Maybe even Houston goes on to take that ring. It just feels like, based on their recent success, that that's really what they're trying to do is get to the Finals. They're trying to get the ring. This feels like a a maneuver to 
really hone in on the things that we do incredibly well. We shoot, we run, we can get up and down the floor. We're going to try to mimic the death lineup. We're going to try to create these mismatches. We got five ball handlers, five shooters. We can switch everything defensively. Not that Houston is known for their defense anyway. And then let's see what happens. If the measure of success is we got to make the NBA Finals, I don't think that this is a team as constructed that can do that just based on the competition that they'd have to go up against. There's a lot of big guys that are impactful that they will see. And there's a difference between playing during the regular season with this particular style and trying to beat someone in a seven-game series where they're going to have film on how you're reacting to the things that they're doing. They're going to be able to make their adjustments. And their adjustments can go across the board where Houston, I feel like, is going to be limited in terms of what adjustments they can make. You've committed to this lineup. These guys have to be on the floor unless you're willing to say, hey, 37-year-old Tyson Chandler is going to be an adjustment. Then you got to go with Covington. you got to go with uh, Eric Gordon. You have to go with guys that just aren't used to playing these traditional front court positions and saying, hey, we need you to go guard a post guy or you to go get a big rebound. And so just based on where I think success has to be measured for them, I think that they're going to be limited. I think they're going to be fun. I think people are going to love watching them, dependent upon matchups. They have ample opportunity to maybe win a playoff series or two. I don't see them doing much more than that. You know, while Houston felt like a favorite because at any given point, James Harden can give you 50 or 60 or, you know, something crazy, the truth is they were a second round out last year, right? And, like, two years ago, you're right, we went to the West Conference Finals, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a Houston fan that doesn't think they win a ring if Chris Paul stays healthy. I didn't get that vibe from, A, the way the Rockets were playing this year so far, or, B, the like general consistent NBA. The NBA has shifted. It's no longer beating the Warriors. It's beating the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nuggets and the Jazz. And all of those teams have this giant, versatile seven-footer in it. You're right. But that also means, just like you were saying in preparation, everyone's gearing up themselves to stop this seven-footer. Well, that's a whole different card then like you're ready to play against the Rockets right now like it's like when you see a team in college football lose to Navy and you're like how do they lose to Navy it's because they don't practice against the option every week like yeah we practice against the option for that one week but that's really hard to do and I understand like it's more there's more preparation and more planning and so on for the playoffs but it's still like we're just going to drop you and you got to play seven games in two weeks and hope you win four of them like you never know when we're going to get hot we still have Harden, who can still give you 50 or 60. We still have Westbrook. The interesting thing to me is is what's come out of this since, and I wasn't really following too closely, but it makes sense in hindsight, is how much they had stopped using Capella in the pick and roll over the course of the last three four years. So, obviously, Capella be- making his exodus means that everyone's like, well, we weren't using him anyway, da 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 But the truth looks like to me is that they really had stopped using him in the same way he was much more of a back cut and catching lobs and getting putbacks. And they've replaced that with a guy who's always been a little undersized to play the two guard and a little bit too, you know, ball dominant to be the one in Russell Westbrook. And so he's kind of found his own position. If you look at their shot chart, he's catching the lobs. He's catching the back cuts. He's putting it back in on rebounds. He, he is, for all intents and purposes, the center on offense. It's a whole different game. Um, and he's going to have to it, do that against Anthony Davis in a series. He's going to have to do that against the Stifle Tower in a series. I guess that's where 
I understand the versatility that Russell Westbrook brings. And Houston, as they're constructed seven-game series, it just feels like something that's going to be difficult for them to overcome with the teams that are ahead of them. Um, a team like Denver, for instance, with a playmaker like Jokic, Jokic isn't coming out of the game. So the way that you're going to have to beat them is hopefully running up and down the floor. Denver has all the capability in the world to slow the game down and play half court and wear you down in a seven game series against these the better teams in the western conference it's going to be incredibly difficult and if you get into the lakers and the clippers where their bigs are athletic enough they'll run with houston's players anthony davis will run up and down the floor all day long with russell westbrook now russell westbrook is one of the superior athletes so Russell Westbrook's going to win his percentage of those, as he would in any game. But Anthony Davis isn't going to get tired running up and down the floor. Montrezl Harrell's not going to get tired running up and down the floor. Paul George is not going to get tired running up and down the floor. LeBron James will not get tired running up and down the floor. And all of those guys are taller than anyone that Houston has the capability of running out there with the exception of uh, Covington. And that's Covington matching up with LeBron. Because those other guys are all taller than Covington. And we're we're also saying, you know, they haven't they haven't hit the buyout market yet because there's real consensus amongst like the guys on the inside of Houston Twitter kind of things that they're exploring those options and that, you know, they may bring in some guy that can give you fifteen or twenty minutes even if it's off the bench. There's even rumor that the you know, Cavs are straight up lying about whether or not Tristan Thompson's actually available. But what the interesting thing to me is, yes, Houston has to guard those guys, but those guys also have to guard us. Like the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert, is really good at protecting the rim. But if he's going to sit there and protect the rim and keep Russell Westbrook from beating a guy one-on-one and dunking on top of him, he's got to leave a shooter. And that's just playing percentages, and that's the analytic movement Houston's been about this whole time with Morey and D'Antoni is he's got to now leave a shooter, and that leaves the best corner shooter in the NBA and P.J. Tucker open. That leaves Eric Gordon open for three. That leaves James Harden. That Like, who is he leaving? Well, you're a basketball coach. They'll play zone. And when they zone, they'll rotate off of Russell Westbrook. And if he wants to shoot threes, every team in the NBA will say, hey, Houston, if you're going to beat us with Russell Westbrook shooting threes, you get to win the series. He's the most inefficient He's the most inefficient three-point shooter maybe in NBA history if we start looking at those analytic numbers. So if we're going to play a zone, and ro- we're not going to rotate off P.J. Tucker. But we're going to this whole movement has been where he has stopped shooting it. He's down to less than two a game, less than two attempts from three a game. Over the course of this last ten game stretch, they've been playing small ball for eight of them. I mean, he's he's taken that away from what he's doing as well. Um, in the seven in, in the seven game series, that's the adjustment though. Is that I'm going to play zone, which now if I'm playing zone principles the way that I need to play them, that's the shot that he's going to get. The shot he's going to get is the three. He's never going to get the drive. We'll pack line it, and we'll clog up the middle. So he'll never get the drive that he wants. He'll end up pulling up from the mid-range and those sorts of things. And now that's not his game either. If he's pulling up from mid-range with Stifle Tower closing out on him or Paul George closing out on him, I I don't think that the Clippers are going to play a zone. I think that the Clippers are more than capable of matching up man for man. Trez Harrell becomes the tricky uh, piece there. But I think you can put him on P.J. Tucker and just say, hey, close out on that corner three. So I, I think know. Trez and Zubak present problems for them, but I think you're right. They just won't play that series. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing, though, to me is you're talking about guys they may not see to the Western Conference Finals. If you told me 
two weeks ago Houston would make it to the Western Conference Finals, I'd have been like, oh, that's a pretty good year. Like, they're not playing above that right now two, as of two weeks ago. So why is this a move that makes them unsuccessful if it gets them there differently? Well, Utah, if the season ended right now, Utah's that first-round matchup, correct? Houston's and they smoked the Utah three nights ago. Awesome. Or last in a, week, whatever In a seven-game series, can you smoke Utah for four games in two weeks? That's I guess that's where I come down on it. The, the adjustment pieces that you can make in a two-week, uh, seven-game series, it's different than the one-off. The one-off is the Navy example that you used earlier, right? Which is if I have to play the triple option one time during the season, they might get me. If I have to play Army one time during the season, they might get me. If I have to play a seven-game series versus Navy and I have better personnel, good luck Navy. Navy's going to be the team that struggles because now I get to see the triple option more than once. So if I'm in a seven-game series and I see the small ball on a regular basis, I just think that NBA teams are going to have a better chance to react to it. And then I just want to throw one more thing. The Western Conference Finals being successful in terms of a season for the Rockets, I, I wonder where they're at with Mike D'Antoni. They have not re-signed him past this year. Do you think that they're going to stick with D'Antoni? I mean, I'm wondering if D'Antoni has the same feeling that we have, which is, hey, listen, if they get to the second round of the playoffs and, uh, and they – show well, that's probably a pretty good season based on where things have been up until this point. Um, I'm wondering what they're thinking about in terms of D'Antoni. I wonder what D'Antoni's thinking about. I would agree that, so consensus, again, going back to someone who follows this Houston sports situation pretty closely, has been that it's a pretty, you know, pretty big boomer bust season for D'Antoni as far as if he gets to stick around or not. Maybe also for Maury, because they were both signed under their previous ownership. Um, but the truth is, if there was one NBA coach that you thought would want to go out swinging with this small ball thing in the history of basketball, it is D'Antoni. So, of course, in what might be his last few months, hurrah, as this Houston Rockets coach with this transcendent player in James Harden and another all-star guard and so on, he's going to make this move to do something he's really always wanted to do. He's always, since his Phoenix days, and since he, I mean, he always has wanted space and pace and pushing the ball and forcing turnovers, not rebounds. They're leading the league in the last 10 games, and like if you go look at everyone's last 10 games, and turnovers forced. I mean, they are getting long arms in every passing lane. A team that's not known for defense is giving up a lot of rebounds and second chances, sure, but they really are pushing the pace and running with this thing. So if we grade this claim, what grade would you put on Houston Rockets being successful playing small ball? I mean, obviously, I'm a homer and I'm biased. I would say the claim is successful. The claim that they will be successful gets a pretty high grade, like in the A range, because my definition of success is it sure didn't seem to hurt their standing in the NBA to me. I think that they're about where they were. They're a team that, sure, if they won it all, you'd be like, oh, James Harden must have had a great playoff run. And if they didn't, you wouldn't be that surprised. No one's picking them to win the NBA Finals. Yeah, it feels like an incomplete in that... I have this definition for success, which is they have to go to a place that they haven't been, which would be the Western Conference Finals, and that would be where we could truly grade out the claim. The claim in and of itself to me is probably then somewhere in the range of a C in that I think that they're more than capable of winning a playoff series. I think that they may even be able to get hot enough, dependent upon matchups, to make the Western Conference Finals. They need to get to the NBA Finals, in my mind, in order to really be successful with this small ball thing. 
Otherwise, it feels like you let go a 25-year-old center that could definitively help you, and you've hamstrung this roster for the next coach that's going to be coming in. Because if D'Antoni doesn't make the finals, it feels like there's definitively going to be a new regime. And we haven't even talked about Daryl Morey, the repercussions that could come from his Hong Kong comments early in the season. It could be that a whole new regime ends up coming in, and now the roster is constructed as it is for that new person coming in. Okay, Shaga. So, claim number two for the day is actually pretty relevant in looking forward. Claim number two is All-Star Weekend has become super unenjoyable for the average NBA fan. I look at the All-Star game, and when I think about how much I enjoy it, I remember being a kid and really looking forward to NBA All-Star Weekend. Like, I wonder if kids still look forward to All-Star Weekend the way that I look forward to All-Star Weekend. And I wonder if it's, as we get older, we enjoy the game less. I think about when I was a kid, there used to be a show called NBA Inside Stuff. They would sponsor, like, the mascot dunk contest and (laughs) the celebrity game. And I love that stuff. And then I go watch the game. Uh, I grew up a Knicks fan, so the Knicks used to be good. So there were always Knicks players in the game. I remember 1994 when the Knicks got three All-Stars, John Starks, Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley. Uh, Starks was in the three-point contest. Like, I loved it. I was all about it. And then I feel like I've gotten older and maybe I've gotten jaded because now I look at the game and I fully recognize that these guys are multimillionaires. There's no owner that's willing to sacrifice their star player in an all-star game if they knew that there was a potential for real injury the game feels even as the guys play it like something that they only take seriously in spurts anyway it's almost like i i mean i've heard the stories of guys deciding who's going to win the mvp in the locker room like hey well and there also aren't any more new york knicks in the game either so that well, kind of hurts your okay and interest. that's okay and that's a dig and i appreciate it whatever <laughs> um but the, i mean i do wonder like in all seriousness right um the the all-stars one of the phenomena that has come about with player empowerment and these guys deciding hey we're going to get together we're going to be on a few teams i i think that that impacts all-star weekend as well right but when when miami have the three dolls uh those three guys were all making the all-star team as opposed to LeBron representing Cleveland and Bosch representing Toronto. So I feel like as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed it a lot less. Uh, the dunk contest definitively does not have the same uh, allure that it once had for me. Uh, I do love the three-point contest. I actually like the the uh, deal that they used to do with the WNBA and the NBA star. I actually like that a little bit too. Uh, but it does feel like they're reaching for a lot of gimmicks, and they're like this close to jumping the shark. Oh, I just... I feel like the more I watch the All-Star game, the more and more, obviously, like you're saying, no one wants to get hurt. No one wants to like, be playing too hard a defense in an All-Star game and have someone step on their ankle and roll over and, and be in a lot of pain or, or anything like that. And I'm not advocating for that either. Um, it just seems like the teams kind of wait to turn it on. Everyone's like letting guys throw lobs one another and so on. <laughs> it feels like a very hungover basketball game after a long week of having a great time in whatever the city is, right? Like it just, it feels like... <laughs> the guys are out there just kind of chucking it up, having a good time, and that's great, and, and that's fun. I just kind of remember, like, there seemed to be a lot more moments. Like, I remember Vince Carter at the 
when they were announcing the starters, taking a seat and letting Jordan start his last All-Star game, right? I, I, I can remember things like when Kobe took over All-Star Weekend. I was a little kid, but I was like, who the bleep is this guy? He, like, he, he is a <laughs> tremendous athlete winning the dunk contest. I don't mean to bring up Kobe because this year's game has several Kobe uh, homages. It just it, it seems like it's not the same kind of game. It's also, you know, you bring up that there are guys that are currently all on the same team. But we had the Pistons that had, when they had Chauncey Billups and Rasheed and Rip Hamilton, all those guys, those guys were all in the All-Star game that year too. And it was kind of cool. And like the Boston Celtics three guys, while it was kind of like the Heatles before the Heatles, if people can remember back that far, those guys all made the All-Star game. It didn't feel like cheapened at all. You know, I just, I know I sound like an old man and there's certainly a lot of sports takes where I'm very much the millennial, but I just don't think the All-Star weekend has... A whole lot of appeal anymore and I, I don't think it's enjoyable i would love to go down a laundry list of ways i'd like to fix it you talked about the nostalgia when you were younger of watching the game and seeing these things and i i really do think that there's that that's a component of it like i wonder if we broke it out by demographic and asked fans to rate on a scale of one to ten their enjoyment of the all-star game if we would see a, a down a decline and enjoyment based on age like the younger you are the more you enjoy this the younger you are you know you're going to watch that that uh that rising stars game you you want to see john Morant throwing it up to zion williamson and that's going to be amazing that you get into the all-star game and you get to see some of these guys pull out their best moves for the fans or you get to see lebron who never entered a dunk contest actually have his dunk contest in chicago during the game you get to see uh, a guy like jimmy butler you get to see a guy like trey young like, I'm wondering if the younger you are, you're just so amazed because you don't get to see these guys all the time. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then the older we get, we're just like, you damn kids, get off my lawn. And <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Like, But I, you you bring up a good point there too, Shaka. LeBron James has never done a dunk contest. And the best three-point shooters in the NBA aren't really in the three-point contest. Or the best three-point shooters as far as like who lights up the games, not who like has high percentage aren't in a three-point contest. And, like, that, I think that's part of it, too, is that they don't want to get embarrassed on national television, and I get that. Like, if Steph Curry lost a three-point contest, there'd probably be a hit in his sneaker sale. Like, that's not great. <laughs> but he, he also isn't competing in it right now. And, well, you know, well, Clay we, Steph, Steph did it. Steph did it. He did it as again. A young, as, a young, as a young guy. But, like, he's not going to – I mean, he's hurt right now. I think he so had a, a ring, though, when he did it. I think he had a ring already. Because when he completed – the year that he competed against Clay, and Clay ended up winning it, didn't they? That was after they won their first ring, right? They they were they were dudes. Oh, I was thinking that was back when they were still beating San Antonio in the yeah. second round. Um, and you might be right. I mean, maybe it was the Mark Jackson years. Like in my mind, that was the Steve Kerr years. And because um, I remember Marky Mark saying something about how he had the best shooting backcourt of all time, and everyone was like, "What?" And then about eighteen months later, like, "Oh no, he's right." To be fair, <laughs> that did seem nuts at the time. Like I remember him saying that, and I remember thinking to myself, "Hey, Mark Jackson, I remember you being on Indiana." With Reggie Miller and the Knicks having a darn time stopping you guys with Rick Smiths down low. And you're going to say that these guys are better shooters than you guys? And then now it's like on question. And it's now, <laughs> I, now I want Mark Jackson to be hired as a Knicks coach. I mean, it's, there's all kind of pieces that go along with that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I do wonder if there is uh, correlation between age of fan and the All-Star game. But beyond that, I'm curious as to some of your thoughts about things that can be done to improve the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game. And I, I do come at it from this standpoint of 
I watch a lot of sports. I look at baseball. I look at football. Uh, all the All-Star games for me have kind of lost their panache. And it'd be awesome if we could come up with some sort of a format. One of the things that we had talked about uh, was the MLS All-Star game. I actually think that the MLS gets this thing right. They put together one team. That team plays against a European club superpower during the European club's preseason. So the game is actually kind of competitive most years. Now, I don't know that a format like that lends itself to the NBA, but something like that has a lure. And those guys are going to play hard to beat them suckers. So it feels like if we could figure out something where we could get the guys to really take it seriously, it would be cool. But how do we do that and take into account the fact that they have these obligations to their actual teams? So I think you're right on, on two fronts. And before I touch on things I think we can fix pretty quickly and easily, um, I do agree with you that like traditional American sports, right, the big four, do not lend themselves to great all-star games. You know, In baseball, no pitcher is going to keep from getting shelled in an all-star game, right? You only get an inning, and guys want to see home runs. And in football, certainly, like, while as memorable as Sean Taylor's big hit on the sideline was, that is not really the spirit of an, a Pro Bowl. Um, I, I think part of my I come at part of my angle here is that as I look back on old All Star games, and maybe you're right, I was a child, but I felt like they were really playing basketball, right? I feel like there was a, a an air that while yes, there was high scoring games and so on and, and cool dunks or whatever, like. There wasn't just dudes standing at half court chatting with their mics on for half the game. Um, one thing I, I like that they do, as they do currently, is the picking teams not based on East and West. I think they need to scrap the East and West altogether. I think they need to just be one big vote for ten starters and so on and so forth. Um, I could get into more about the voting versus not voting in a minute. But when they have their two captains, their captains are picking teams. What they need to do is they need to make the jerseys reversible, they need to line by half court, and they need to pick them right then and there before the game starts. So that's because, the embarrassing element that I don't think the NBA is going to want because some dude's getting picked last in that scenario. And, and I get every, getting... single, every single year, you're exactly right, every single year now that they've done this, whether it was the secret vote or really doing it in public like they've done the last two, the guy that gets picked last is getting destroyed on Twitter. Whoever it is is like, oh, he shouldn't have been a starter. Oh, he didn't even need to be an all-star. They didn't really want to blah, blah, blah. That dude is going to play balls to the wall. <laughs> like he is about, he's like, oh, I'm last, huh? Uh, oh, let's see. And it's an all-star caliber player that's like, oh, you think I'm the last pick? Let's see how this goes, huh? <laughs> like, And that's what I want. I think that could just pick up the intensity of the game right there. You tell Trey Young as all-star starter, hey, you're the last pick of the starters. He is jacking the first four from 40 feet, and he might make three of them. Like, he really might. And I think that could bring some fun back into this. Like, the, the, ego, competi- the ego element of competition is important, and I think that could be, bring, be a way to bring some fun into it. And I think that that will generate excitement for a quarter. I don't know. Like, I'm wondering, at, there's going to be a point where guys got to make a decision, and it's oh, look, Trey Young's driving down the lane. I can take this charge or I can move out of the way. And maybe, you know, in the first eight minutes if they're talking smack, then all of a sudden you're really guarding them hard. Uh, and then after a while, it's just like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'm wondering if there's a way to extend that that uh, level of competitiveness. Like, in my mind, one of the things that I thought about was uh, there's the, money is a motivator for these guys still, but I don't think that money directly into their pockets would be as much of a motivator as 
they pick the charity. And the winning team, we're going to give a quarter million dollars to your charity. And the losing team, we're going to give like $10,000 to your charity. Now, all of a sudden, if LeBron James is playing for his charter school, I think you'll get a level of competition out of him for four quarters that would be intense and it'll feel intense. And I'm wondering if there's, I don't know, that that could be something that could maybe motivate some of these guys to really want to play hard. Oh, I agree. I think that there are other ways to motivate the guys too. I also think that you particularly struck on a the correct person to use an example. LeBron would take that charitable element. He's like, oh, I can get 250k for my kids at that school. That is big time. There are certainly other players that would do the same kind of thing. Um, it, it's just like he is the first to come to mind as he would not let his team dog it, especially because he's going to be a captain pretty much until he decides to retire. He's going to get voted into that spot every year. Well, I'm also thinking um, about the African players, too, because Giannis and Pascal Siakam, those guys are sending money back to Africa to build schools and hospitals. and all. Those guys will play hard, too. Uh, I'm not sure about everyone else's charitable contributions, but I just thought that that might be something that could appeal to these guys. I think it would appeal to fans as well because there's a charitable element now to the game. You feel like, okay, I'm going to get a rooting interest. And maybe even there's this tangential relationship where we learn a little bit about some of the good that these players are doing because I think that that always gets underserved when we start talking about players. We, we tend to go toward the TMZ stuff and then we get away from a lot of the good stuff that they're doing. I don't know. Um, I think there could be a lot of positive from something like that. We use this all-star game as a way to justify max contract. Uh, when Duck Guys in the Hall of Fame, we say blank time all-star, right? We say That's a big piece of this. I don't like, if we're going to use all-stars for that, leaving it up to the fans quite as much as we do. Bradley Beal and uh, Devin Booker are sitting there with, like, their career earnings will be hit because they made one less all-star game now. You know, and... Uh, Zach like, Levine, it's, too. Zach Levine. And it's hard to, Zach Levine, too. And as hard as it is to, like drum up like empathy for a guy that is already making millions of dollars playing game and we'd all like would love to have that kind of an option or da, 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 so on and so forth the truth is is that's a lot of money like that is a lot of money these guys are missing out on because of fan voting yeah it feels like that for contractual pieces that you'd want to go to all nba which i i thought that the for your Supermax, that that's what they looked at anyway was the All-NBA versus the All-Star. But I do know that uh, that there are contractual pieces that will be around the All-Star game. I know that it's definitively mentioned how many times a player has made an All-Star game when we start talking Hall of Fame. So I don't know exactly what the right what the right balance is or what, what should be looked at. I definitely feel like when it comes to the All-Star game, there's there are pieces around fan voting and even around the selection of the reserves that I call into question the sanity of folks. When <laughs> the sanity of when folks. Bradley Beal and Devin Booker do not make the All-Star game, you're crazy now. You're a crazy person. There's no one who can tell me that with what those guys are doing, they shouldn't be All-Stars. And their teams are actually performing much better than anyone anticipated. So it's not even like we're looking at those teams and saying, oh, they're just losing the way they always lose. No. Washington has a great shot of potentially making the playoffs in the East. Devin Booker has his team competing hard in the West. Those guys should be in. Um, and I will I'm not the I will tell you that Chris Paul should not be in over Devin Booker. And I don't think Kyle Lowry should be in over Bradley Beal. Those are the guys who I'm taking off the roster. 
that brings me to another thing I'd like to scrap, especially in light of the conversation we just had about small ball. When are we going to get a red positions in these things? Because while you can argue and nitpick different point guards, Bradley Beal would have made it over Sabonis, right? Uh, I would think so. I would think that his year is better than the year that DeMarcus Sabonis has had. So then when are we going to get rid of positions? Because is Luka a forward or a guard? Is Jimmy a guard or a forward? Like These picking positions on in a game that is increasingly having less and less identifiable positions just seems ridiculous to me. Like LeBron can play five of them. Why are you putting him in one box? You know, Jimmy Butler and Luka Doncic can play a couple of different positions. They shouldn't be voted as only one or the other. That, and I, that's another thing to me that like, it that hurts Bradley Beal's pocketbook, and it means Jimmy's not a starter because there's only two guard spots and three forwards and whichever spot. I don't know. It just it seems like to me, you shouldn't be in a game that is losing its rea- like real positions. You shouldn't continue to use that as a way to put guys into the All Star game either. So we look back at your claim around the enjoyable aspect of the All-Star game. Uh, if I were to kind of grade that claim, like in my mind, again, there's this caveat because if you, I do think that if you're younger, you're going to enjoy this game a lot more than when you get older. That being said, I mean, the claim for me personally is an A claim. I don't really enjoy All-Star Weekend the way that I used to. I feel like the NBA missed on a huge opportunity to have Vince Carter be in the dunk contest. I, I don't understand if Dwight Howard can do the dunk contest, why you wouldn't get Vince to do it in his last season. One, I, I also obviously would give it a pretty high grade, so I think it's an A claim. And we've only talked a lot about the All-Star game. We didn't talk a lot about how, we talked a little bit, but not a lot, about how the dunk contest is in its like fourth or fifth different iteration and it's still not really as good as it used to be because it's not the game's best dunkers currently and how the three-point contest is adding gimmicks of sorts because now we've got guys that can shoot from 40 feet and so how do you how do you you know incorporate that and the celebrity game is fun but it's also just a celebrity basketball game like it's not the centerpiece of the weekend and it the weekend has gotten less and less fun Pete Rose is back in the news So our history lesson for today is around Pete Rose, with our claim being Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. So, Parker, what are your thoughts on Pete Rose and his Hall of Fame candidacy? Uh, So, obviously, as we talked a lot about the Astros recently in baseball conversations, the idea of cheaters or being banned and what kind of punishment you give people has been very prevalent I would say that the I would agree with the claim uh, that Pete Rose ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, certainly, in light of the all that's happened in baseball since he was uh, banned, I, I just I don't understand why his wrongdoing is definitively worse than so many people since him, and how it was so much more egregious to baseball. Um, I get that betting on baseball is not exactly the best thing. The Dowd report did say that he did not bet against the Reds. Um, and I guess my thing is really just if we allow him back into baseball, leave it up to writers, right? Uh, if we allow him back into baseball and writers don't want to vote him in the Hall of Fame because of what he did, then so be it. I just I don't think that it's right to have him voting on guys like Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, and years down the line, like all the people involved in the Astros and Red Sox mess that they're 
currently in and they're all voting on those people that have hurt the game but they're not voting on this guy because he's banned my take has always been this Pete Rose gambled as a manager of the Reds he lied about gambling for years and the reality is when he says that he didn't bet on his team to lose he's a historical liar I don't know whether that's true or not he I, he could he could totally be lying and I get that the Dow report did their investigation I, I knowing what I know about gambling I find it hard to believe that being said he's not going into the Hall of Fame for what he did as a manager he's going into the Hall of Fame for what he did as a player so I don't understand why he can't be let into the Hall of Fame for what he did as a player and then on his plaque discuss Pete Rose the manager he, he did nothing as a manager that would say that he's Hall of Fame worthy let him in as a player. All 4,192 hits go in with him. We could have the discussion about him as a manager and keep him out of baseball. Like, he can't get a job as a manager anymore. He can't get a job in the front office anymore. I'm fine with that. He bet on the game as a manager. He did it when he was in the front office. If you want to keep him out of those types of roles, I'm, a, I'm cool with that. He made that mistake. That feels like an appropriate punishment to ban him from having the opportunity to be in the Hall of Fame when clearly he is a Hall of Fame player based on what he did on the field. Baseball, their hit king and their home run king are not in the Hall of Fame. And at some point, that conversation that you have around those pieces, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that that dominates the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a museum of baseball history. We don't, as history teachers, not talk about slavery because that was a difficult time in American history. That's the reason why we talk about it. So in this museum, you should have the guys who are difficult to talk about. And you already do. You have a guy like Ty Cobb in there. So we already have difficult pieces to talk about. I'm willing to put Pete Rose in. Shoeless Joe Jackson should be in. I think that Barry Bond should be in. Roger Clemens should be in, and then have the conversation about what these guys did. And if you left it up to me, I mean, there'd be a lot of guys who are in that I think that folks might be disappointed in, because Mark McGuire would be in, Sammy Sosa would be in, Alex Rodriguez would be in. We're just going to have the conversation now about these guys, performance enhancing drugs, gambling. We're just going to have those difficult conversations, because that's a part of baseball history as well. I think you're spot on several things, and you really connected dots. There was a, an epiphany, aha moment in there that I didn't really put together myself. Part of the reason I think I agree so, you know, so closely with what you're saying is that I would, like you're saying, put all of them in, and speak on them qualitatively, about you know, on their careers and what happened and what they were involved in, especially guys like you know Bonds and Pete Rose that have the quantitative me- measurements as opposed to just the qualitative ones. Um, Baseball is a big game of numbers, and it's hard to believe that the guys with the most impressive numbers are not sitting in the Hall of Fame ready to get recognized by all the kids that come for generations to understand more about baseball. Um, And I hadn't really put together, like you're saying, that as two history teachers, we sit around and think about, like, teaching hard history, and, like, that is kind of the difficult and fun and exciting challenge of this job is that we both think about it from the how do we talk about slavery in a classroom in 2020? How do we talk about immigration history in 2020 how do we talk about 
you know, the way our country has treated different people you know, over the course of its, you know, 100, 250 years. Um, or, and I'm just saying that as a U.S. history teacher, you can go into all kinds of caveats on different countries and so on. I mean, I can't imagine being a history teacher in Germany is too much fun when you get to the World Wars. The interesting thing is that I never connected those two, but I think you're exactly right. It's the conversation is difficult, but that's the conversation you want to have in the Hall of Fame because that's the history of baseball. If baseball took control of the narratives around these conversations, I think that they'd be better off for it versus having Pete Rose do his one-off interviews where, frankly, I don't think that Pete Rose ever comes off well in any of those. And now those are the news clips that are out there and they're connected to Major League Baseball. You could put the man in and then you get to control the narrative. You get to control the conversations that are had in the media. You get to control what those news clips look like. You get to control the tweets and the social media. So now let's think about that claim and let's grade it out. So Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame as a claim. How do you grade it, Parker? Uh, I grade it, again, I've given all A's today, so I guess I'm the easy teacher. I give it an A. You're the easy teacher. Everyone's signing up for your class. (laughs) Hey, at least that means I have a job. Kids want to take my class every year. Um, No, I, I think it's an A claim, and I think that the truth is, is it's like you're saying. It's more about what we say about him when he's in there than the fact that he's in there. I think that it's got to come down to how it's displayed and covered and discussed while he is sitting in the Hall of Fame, not while he's sitting outside of it and we're talking about him as an outsider. Yeah, the claim for me is an A claim as well. Uh, I Obviously, I feel like Pete Rose should be in. I feel like baseball, again, would ha- actually have more control over the Pete Rose narrative if he was in the Hall of Fame because then they could say, well... We are allowing you to be in the Hall of Fame based on what you did as a player, but you'll never work in a front office. You'll never be a manager. They they could actually control the narrative, and I think that folks would actually be more supportive and understanding of what baseball is trying to do if they just went ahead and put him in. And I do wonder, it seemed like Bud Selig was never going to put Pete Rose in. I do wonder now that Rob Manfred is commissioner, if there would be an easing of the stance on Pete Rose and his Hall of Fame candidacy. So I'm curious how uh, Manfred will handle this. If Manfred looks at this this current opportunity and says, yeah, we're not going to put him in, it's very unlikely. Pete Rose will go in posthumously. I I was very skeptical they're going to put him in while he's alive. Even four months ago, before all this Astro stuff came out, we started talking about cheating again. I guess that that opens up a little bit of a door if they're going to say, you know, Oh well, this wasn't as bad as the stuff we just saw, or or whatever. Um, I, I've been skeptical of him going in as, while he's alive and able to speak, because frankly, I don't know that they want him to speak. Shaka, I don't, I don't, I don't think they want him giving a speech. I don't think they want him openly, you know, braggadociously talking about finally being a Hall of Famer. As great as that moment, seeing him get the notification would be, I just, I don't think they want it to happen, man. Okay, so as we wrap up F in Sports this week, we had three great claims, I would say. And then we have uh, Easy A Ainsworth, who gives all A's <laughs> on hey, all the claims. <laughs> everyone's fighting to get into my class when it's sign-up day. The registration is, a, is just backed up all because of my class, apparently. Absolutely. Every North Carolina basketball player in the history of the school wants to take Parker Ainsworth's class. <laughs> uh, and then, um, so uh, as we wrap up, let's go ahead and 
let the fans know how they get in touch with us. As you listen to this pod, please uh, like, subscribe, rate it, comment, and do all those wonderful things because that helps us out quite a bit. Uh, but if you want to continue the conversations with us, Parker, where can they hit you up on social? Uh, my Twitter is at Painsworth512, at Painsworth512, and then uh, same on Instagram, at Painsworth512. Um, and come on, uh, let us know if you think I'm too easy a grader or I had a mistake somewhere or whatever. Sh- shoot it my way. Let me know. Absolutely. And my social, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Shaka Cummings, at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Uh, please reach out to us. We'd love to interact with you. Thank you guys for listening to the pod this week. We'll be back next week with more F in sports. And when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.